0: One. Seriously, if you want to relieve stress, go to the Word of God. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's just so weird, isn't it, These people, say stuff
1: like that? I apologize
2: for it. Are you kidding me? Let's all do baptism, and I have a little pool here, and we'll all feel nice and relaxed. That's baptism. No, baptism is a sacred Christian rite. All the various yogas are sacred Hindu rites. Wake up, America!
0: It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Frio. Do we
2: have a winner, or is it another... P.U. This is Wretched Radio. Not to be hypercritical, although that is my spiritual gift. I do believe when it comes to presenting the gospel, we need to be on point. This is our core theology. We can't shade it, use language that is unclear, might even confuse the hearer who is yet not regenerated. We want to be precise. The gospel requires surgical precision. And over the years, we've noticed uh, that hasn't been much of a concern for many. Now, I don't think that these evangelicals are well-intentioned. I just suspect that they haven't considered well how important it is to get this right. Because we've, we've assumed too much when it comes to presenting the gospel. And we need to increasingly understand that people in Western civilization know nothing. We say things like, hey, God's willing to forgive your sins. Uh, I don't think that I'm a sinner. What's he so mad about anyway? They know nothing. And so we need to be like Paul in the Areopagus, explaining the very basics. If you recall, there's a pattern of gospel presentations in the New Testament. When it came to presenting it to the Jews, there were some assumptions. You understand the laws of God. You understand that God is a just judge. They got all of that, and that ground didn't need to be tilled. But when it came to presenting it to the Gentiles, those who had no knowledge of the Old Testament, it required going back even to creation, we can't assume, we can't think that people get it because we do. That is, that actually, okay, for whatever this is worth, for real, it's going to be worth nothing. And I would not argue with you. When it comes to posting things here at Wretched, here's one of our rules on putting stuff up on social media. One of them, we got a bunch, but one of the rules is if I don't know Anything about what we're posting, will I get it? And oftentimes what we discover is, um, no, people wouldn't. What happened? What was the disconnect? Well, we know what we're promoting an event. Okay, let's just say we're promoting some sort of an event. And, and we look at it and we go, hey, it looks great. But then if I take off my understanding of the issue because I know what's going on, and just look at it like, I'm just totally ignorant of this. It's like, oh, wait a second. We forgot to put the dates on there. Oh, maybe the location would be, whatever it is, it's like, how did we miss that, we assumed. And we do that with the gospel. And over the years, that has been very observable. Furthermore, in an effort to try to make the gospel compelling, which is a misstep right out of the gate, the gospel is compelling and we don't need to make it more. So. We can't make it more. So, furthermore, there are well-intentioned folks who want to make it understandable. And so they've come up with illustrations. They've come up with descriptions. There have been all kinds of methods and I'm not condemning all of them. I, I, I But I am saying we do need to be hypercritical when it comes to a gospel presentation and maybe not for the sake of being the gospel presentation discernment Nazis that tags everybody on everything, but how I deliver the gospel. How do I present? Do my kids really know the gospel? Because if they only know bits, they're probably not going to respond to it because they don't understand it as fully as we need to. Having said that, just a caveat, do we need to include everything That is articulated in the 1689 London Baptist Confession. No, we don't. Do people need to have a really deep understanding of, well, these are big issues, so don't panic on me, but how much do they need to understand the Trinity or the doctrine of imputation? I I think there needs to be an understanding of those things. I really do. But do we need them to be able to write a doctoral thesis? No. No. We, we don't, because that would be an expectation that would keep probably pretty much all of us out of the kingdom. Having said all of that, I am hopeful that I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers a gospel presentation that is good. This was sent into idea at wretched.org. It comes from a website. I'm going to leave it out because I haven't read it yet. That's that's why I'm hopeful. I I I want to work through it together to see if this is a good tool to present the gospel and the reason that I'm hopeful this is what it says this it's called this this is called the wordless book there's no words in this book that you can use to explain the gospel here's the intro originally introduced by Charles Spurgeon in 1866. Well then, if Charles Spurgeon is down with it, it should be good, right? I'm hopeful. But having said that, when it comes to discerning, I still want to discern it. And furthermore, what maybe was clear to people in 1866 London might not be clear in 2024 America. And by the way Jimmy 2024. Uh-huh. Um Is is anybody else still writing 1997 on their checks? <laughs> like I Actually you I would you can't even use that anymore. What? What what are you talking about writing a 1997 on you a write, check? You write checks? Exactly. <laughs> Who does that anymore? <laughs> Everything's changing. Originally introduced by Charles Spurgeon 1866, the wordless book has been a powerful tools over the years. So a number of people used this illustration. In 1939, Child Evangelism Fellowship began to print the books with instructions. Okay, so we should have one. Let's learn from it. Because I'm hoping it's not deficient in any way when it comes to the clarity and the precision that's needed to present the gospel. I'm hoping we can learn, hey, that would help us to clarify. Hey, that is good stuff. So here it is. Imagine we're opening up a book, and it's a dark page. This is the description. So it's I'm going to guess black. This page reminds me. It's got Romans three twenty three. All of sin. This page reminds me of. So this is what you say. You got the book. You open it up for the person. It's a black page. This page reminds me of sin. Sin. Now, this is written for a child, I think, is all the bad stuff that you and I do that makes God really sad. Okay. Um, yeah. If you want to use the word sad, makes him angry. He's furious about it. Righteous indignation. I wonder if Charles Spurgeon would have said it that way, or is this a contemporized version of it? I wonder if this is I can't imagine the Prince of Preachers saying that God is sitting in heaven boohooing. Because we do bad stuff. What are some of the things that you do wrong? All of those things that we just talked about are sin. We all make bad choices. Even mommies and daddies sin. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This means there's nothing that we can do to ever make us good enough to reach God. Okay. Is there any assumption in that? I think there is. And now I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm suspecting that Charles Spurgeon wouldn't have explained it this way. Whenever we couch sin in any other terms than a violation of God's law that justly deserves temporal and eternal punishment, I think we're deficient. Will that scare your children? I hope so. They should be afraid of God. They should. He's an all-consuming fire. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so this description, at least, from this particular website, it uses the word sin. Thumbs up. Applaud that. But what what is sin? It's not bad choices. It's a violation of God's law. But that isn't enough either. Why does God have laws? Why did he codify for us how we are supposed to behave and think and worship? because he is perfectly holy and his expectation for those to whom he gives life is that they also would be holy just like he is holy. Let's take a look at some of those laws to see if we are holy like he is. And then we must open up the law. We must open up the law. Now it doesn't, it doesn't always need to be done Ray Comfort style. We hear Ray do that. Is anybody better than Ray? But but there are other ways to open up the law, to explain. Use the Sermon on the Mount. You want to open up the law and grind people to powder? Woo! Jesus' first sermon recorded for us. It is a law banger. You've heard it said. You think this is the standard? I'm telling you, this is by the time you are done with two and a half chapters of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you are undone. You have had any hope ripped from your heart that you might make yourself right with God. We must open the law. Let's see if this gospel presentation does just that. This is Wretched Radio.
1: Okay, so imagine that you're inside of a maze, and every corner that you take, there's another wall, there's another obstacle, and you finally get to the point of frustration where you think you're never going to get out. But then, imagine a different scenario. You're still inside that maze, but every corner you take is a guide who has a flashlight and is saying, nope. That's the right way to go. And in that scenario, we welcome you to Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford. And whether you've listened or not, you'll realize really quickly it's not your everyday radio show. Transform with Dr. Greg Gifford takes issues that many, if not all of us, struggle with, and it matches them up to hope and healing through the pages of the Bible. It is genuinely an entirely new perspective. New episodes drop every Saturday morning in your favorite podcast spot or at
2: transformed.org slash podcast transformed with Dr. Greg Gifford. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty and I asked and it said in, in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what, what's the, what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck. One dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats. Per month. Hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today. And I wanted
1: to take just a moment to say thank you to our incredible gospel partners. Together, we're not just throwing seed. We're actually nurturing an entire forest. And your partnership is more than just a monthly commitment. There have been lives touched. There have been hearts changed. And there have been souls comforted. And while we don't have a giant thank you banner that we can fly over your house, though that would be pretty cool, and then we do have countless stories of lives impacted by your generosity. Every prayer you've prayed, every dollar you've given, it's like a ripple effect across the massive ocean. Thank you for standing firm with us and for being the backbone of this ministry. And to those of you who are not already gospel partners, well, hey, we would love to welcome you into the family. You can get all of the answers to the questions we know you have right now at wretched.org donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel.
0: Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called the bread of life. Just as God gave life to his people in the desert by providing manna, so Jesus gives life to his people through his body broken on the cross, which we remember in the breaking of the bread in communion. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel.
2: Come on, wordless book. This is Wretched Radio. Apparently, in the middle of the 19th century, one Charles Spurgeon used a wordless book to explain the gospel to people. Well, over the years, it's been updated, it's been edited, and I hold in my never-before-nicotine-stained fingers the current iteration of the wordless book. And we're walking through it, hopefully so that we we could maybe learn from this gospel presentation because if we are ever going to open up our mouth and talk about Jesus we got to get this right we 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 can't skirt difficulties and with offensive statements i i think this is this is something that is 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 probably a pressure point right now for all of us that we want to get along that we don't want people to be upset with us. That is the battle cry of the world. The reason that it's tricky for us is because we don't want to, by nature, be offensive. But the reality is our gospel message is offensive. It is entirely offensive. It is cut you off at the knees uh, by by swinging a sword at your neck. I'm telling this this is an offensive message. No. You're not good. You are rotten to the core. Oh, sinner, God's wrath abides upon you. This is an offensive message and and we make an error if we try to probably misapply Romans 9 to be all things to all people so that we don't offend anybody. We need to we need to accept increasingly that People are going to be upset with us. Uh, And if if you're not in that place, uh, please get there because it's not going to be long. The world, no matter what you try to say on these cultural sin issues, unless it is a full-throated Romans 1 endorsement of depravity, and even then, eh, a WWJD bracelet is is enough to get you on the wrong side of the cultural ledger. Well, we need to get ready for this because we're here. And I'm afraid that even goes with our own families. Does this mean that we should be obnoxious? Of course not. But we need to recognize when we preach the gospel rightly, people are going to be offended. When they perhaps ask us a question about a sin issue, and we we don't do it with with an attitude of superiority. Remember, we're only beggars who have been given bread. What do you know that hasn't been given to you? Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. So we should have a humility simultaneously while having a boldness, recognizing not everybody is going to dig it. And we need to be especially careful that we don't fall to that temptation when it comes to preaching the gospel. I hold the wordless book in my hands. I don't know that this was the way Charles Spurgeon presented it. So far, I would say, Jimmy, would you agree? I don't think <laughs> Charles Spurgeon would talk like this. I, I don't think so. This is contemporary lingo. What are, th- what are some of the things that you do wrong? M- we all make bad choices. Um, even your mommy and daddy sins. Now, look, I love it that they say the word sin, but it's got to be opened. And maybe that's somewhere. I'm at the website of this particular book. I I, I haven't seen it. So if it's there, send it to me. But I'm not seeing any opening up of the law to explain what sin is, why it's a sin, and who enforces that law breaking. So the black page is basically about you've sinned without explaining sin, and you've done bad stuff that makes God really sad. That was a quote. The red page, that's next. God's plan was to send his perfect son, Jesus. Okay, um, we got to the gospel, lickety split. If I were going to have a red page, it would this would be my explanation. The red is a symbol for flames. This is the consequence of sin. Jesus warned everybody, if you do not have a route of escape, you will spend eternity in a lake of sulfur where the flames are never quenched. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We we gotta we gotta explain that. That is our that's what makes the good news good. Friend, there's a bullet and it's coming at you. No, there's a torpedo, and it is en route to you. And you need to know it because you need to get out of its path, and there's only one way to do that. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Run to the Savior. Find shelter in him. He will forgive, but you must come on his terms. We, there's a million ways to do that. There's a, a million different settings that sometimes require slightly different tones. We can't fail to be pastoral and recognize that we're dealing with unique situations. But those unique situations do not override how we present the gospel. They can't because that is to be pragmatic well if i say it like that they're going to be offended well then you need to examine how you're going to say it is that biblical am i doing it the most thoughtful way i can yes could it still offend yeah well then fire away we we can't we can't let the consequences dictate the terms the terms of the terms we need to make it clear all right so here's here's the red page john 3:16 God's plan for us to reach him, um, okay, it's, it's not about reaching God. God reaches down to us to reconcile. He propitiates, he buys us back. He, Jesus assuages the wrath of God. That's the issue at stake. On Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' birth, that he grew into a young man. He never sinned. Because of this, he was able to take our place on the cross and die for our sins. Why did he have to go there? What What was... What? Why did he have to die for sins? What's the problem here? See, we didn't explain the law, the character, and the nature of God, and all of a sudden, it's a muddle. And I do believe... This is why we see so many false converts in Christendom. Maybe maybe you've had this experience. You went to church for years and years and you heard a fragmented gospel and nobody ever put it together. And then one day somebody did and you went, oh, I'm undone. I, I never understood this. And yet you went to church your whole life. Why is that? We've assumed. We cannot assume anything with anybody. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you you teach youth group. At some point, the kids should go, we get it. We're wicked sinners. God's wrath. We get it already. That's that you should hear that at some point. If you have not heard them squeal like that, you, then you need to keep squeezing because they don't get it yet. Jesus shed blood and Jesus shed blood. And I'm sorry, I'm reading that Jesus shed blood and death mean we can be forgiven for our sins, the bad things we do. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. Three days later, good, I appreciate resurrection, he went to heaven. Now he's preparing a place for all those who believe in him. Because of what Jesus did for you, you can have your sins forgiven. This is warm. It's just deficient. That's all. It's just deficient. And it's 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 the lingo is more contemporary than it is biblical. You'll never go wrong with using biblical words. You say, but people don't know what justification is. I say explain it to them. Paul wrote to people who were less educated than most of society today, although some of those videos I've been seeing on the YouTube machine makes you wonder. You can't tell me what 9 plus 9 plus 9 is. You can't tell me when the War of 1812 took place. But he wasn't writing to people who are any dumber or any smarter than we are today. They're people. They use big words. We need to just explain them. The white page, Psalm 51.7. Do you see how clean this page is? Do you remember how black your heart is from sin? You don't have to have a black heart. You can have a clean heart. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow, says Psalm 51. Jesus wants to forgive you all your sins and take them away. His blood will wash away all that yuckiness and darkness. Not a word I would use. It's, it, it lacks power. Ooh, gross. You eat spam with mayonnaise, yucky. That's that's not what dwells in our heart. The Bible also tells us that when Jesus forgives our sin, he totally forgets about them. That should be explained a little better, but okay, this, this is not horrific. It's just lacking. The gold page, Revelation 21. What color is it? God reminds me of the things that are very special. It reminds me of God. He's perfect. He does nothing wrong. That should have been at the beginning. God created you and me. God also reminds me of heaven. Heaven is where God lives. The Bible even says the streets of heaven are paved with gold. Sounds like a great place, doesn't it? There's one thing that cannot ha- ever happen in heaven, sin. We learned the only way to get rid of our sin is to ask Jesus to wipe it away. Um, I, w- I wouldn't use that phrase without using repentance and faith. Remember the announcement of John the Baptist Echoed by Jesus, repent. John the Baptist, uh, the kingdom's coming. It's really close. Jesus, far more poignantly, it's here. The King has arrived. Repent. Not ask Jesus to wipe it away. It is. It's. It's correct. It's just deficient. It's lacking. So here's a simple prayer, Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I make bad choices. Please forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying forgiving my sins, rising again. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life, make it clean. Please help me make good choices and live for you. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, that's the first time the love of God was mentioned. Let's be gospel surgeons. This is Wretched Radio.
1: It's now time for a Wretched News break here on Wretched Radio. I am Jimmy Hex. Well, we start things in North Carolina, where a middle school has decided to remove all mirrors in school bathrooms because kids were skipping class continuously to film TikTok videos. It was such a problem. School administrators said, let's take mirrors out of the bathrooms. You know, I think on one hand, I do applaud the effort to actually put academics first, which you don't see a lot in public schools right this moment. But why not just confiscate or put a zero tolerance against cell phones in schools at all? Is there something wrong with that? That wasn't a thing when I was in school, so why is it an issue now? Speaking of questionable role models, the World Health Organization has just appointed a former prostitute and gender theory extremist to a key transgender health post. That's just a weird thing to say, a key transgender health post. That's not even something we would have considered 10 years ago, but now it's key to have that type of position. I don't know. And in women's sports, biological male golfer has steamrolled the LPGA Tour again last weekend. The trans athlete took home some top prize money after crushing female competitors, as you might expect, at the latest event. And then the player just kind of added fuel to the fire of, this is wrong? By throwing in the face of every female he just defeated by saying, yeah, you know, males do have an advantage over females, I guess. Yeah we know. Shifting to entertainment, outraged parents discovered a popular animated series on Amazon that showcases graphic rape in the name of humor. Oh yeah, because rape is so funny, right? The cartoon evidently contains scenes depicting sexual assault and it was just for laughs. Critics blasted the streaming giant for marketing adult-only content to unsuspecting families lacking any type of warning. Yeah, that's nothing that we should even consider entertainment that should have made it past the first stage of filtration, let alone tons of executives who gave it the green light and said, yeah, that's a good idea. Moving to sports, UFC President Dana White recently shut down reporters who demanded that he punish a fighter for so-called anti-trans remarks. The aggressive journalist tried cornering the MMA chief, but White fired back unequivocally, defending free speech while refusing to air personal views. And in Michigan this week, a Christian couple filed suit against a library for sexual content involving minors. The lawsuit alleges that the administrators knew yet took no action when a convicted sex offender dressed as a woman and hosted Drag Queen Story Hour for kids. Oh, let's pray someone finally steps up and protects innocent children from such dangerous nonsense. That's been today's Wretched News break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. <laughs>
0: of God. Is Jesus God? One name given to God in scripture is El Gibor, the mighty God. One occurrence of this name stands out. In Isaiah chapter 9, El Gibor is the name given to the promised Messiah. Jesus is that promised Messiah. He is God incarnate. This is Wretched Radio with
2: Todd Friel. Go ahead rebuke me if i was being too critical this is wretched radio jimmy going through that contemporized version of the wordless book was i being too nitpicky i
1: I don't think so i don't think so there were what there were you said it it, was it was called the wordless the wordless book yeah just colors
2: and you explain the colors right and there were four pages uh there were uh there was also um I tossed it already. There was there was also at the end, I think, a green page mm-hmm. that had to do with sanctification, although I don't think it put it that way. But yeah, basically there were four pages.
1: Yeah, I think it was missing a couple.
2: Well, I or or just explain it right. more biblically. Yeah. If you're gonna have a black page, it can't be black enough. Our hearts are wicked. And that explanation, you, you could feel the contemporary lingo that had, had, had kind of mingled its way in. You heard some good old-fashioned Charles Spurgeon-like language when he endorsed that presentation. I suspect he did it differently. But you heard some of that, and then you heard kind of the, hey, we're trying to soften this up a little bit for you. They don't mingle. Not if you're going to explain sin rightly. We, we, we need to be Surgeons. Furthermore, you know why I say furthermore, Jimmy? Who to because that? I need a segue right now. We need courage. Just like the courage of Argentinian President Javier Milei, who denounced at the World Economic Forum the bloody abortion agenda. I don't know much about this, dude. But we need to be talking like this more. I, 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 I'm this, this 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 upcoming election is going to have really big implications for a lot of babies, whether they live or die, because we've lost the argument. We, we've, we've let the medicinalized lingo, women's reproductive health care, that's like gender affirming care. You mean gender mutilation care? You mean dismembering a baby care? Is that what you what, would? We've lost the argument. And again, the danger in being courageous speakers is that we really become jerkish, that we just we become sharp, shrill and obnoxious. We don't have to be that way. We can't be that way. We can't be that way. But we do need in our own context and setting to be bold with the truth. Boldness doesn't just mean, I'm loud about this. It means what you are doing is wicked. What you are doing is an abomination to God. What, this is John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist. Consider his encounter with the king. He said it. What you are doing is an abomination to God. Did he get his head handed to him literally? Yes. And we're at the point where we need to be prepared for that consequence. We are called to something different. We are called to something unique. We are called to be a peculiar people. The Argentinian president at the World Economic Forum, isn't that where I think Klaus Schwab said that elections, we're not going to need them anymore because we have AI. What did he, What did he? You know, sir, you keep talking like that, and all those conspiracy theories <laughs> will suddenly be revealed as being accurate. He condemned the idea that we human beings damage the planet, which should be protected at all costs, going so far as to advocate for population control mechanisms or the bloody abortion agenda. So he's condemning those things, the bloody abortion agenda. Uh, a lot of the people who attended that forum they are all in favor of population control what better way to do that than to not let them be born in the first place Unfortunately this is a quote these harmful ideas I like that that, that could even be stronger but that, that at least is is the, the the dial ticking in the right direction of strong speech these harmful ideas have taken a stronghold in our society neo-marxists yep have managed to by the way, this has been thinking about this a lot, if you couldn't tell. when When we talk about the Democratic Party, I think it's better to just say, "Oh, you're in the neo-Marxist party. That's just that's what it is. Well, no, it's not. Well, you need to go read their documents. That's what it is. They call themselves Democrats. it's it's Marxist. Now, there are some people in the party that aren't that way. We need to acknowledge that that there are some classic liberals. But the loudest voices—I don't know what the percentage is—the loudest voices. Oh, that's that's Marxism is what that is, and we need to call it what it is and speak about these things I mean, because we've got. We this is how they are talking, and I notice I can't help but notice some of the evangelical critics. <laughs> <my> Lord, <clears throat> Jimmy, where's my water? I got a little tickle in my throat. You good? Right there. A recently punching right. Coddling left again, and she's not a fan of Donald Trump, and she's letting it be heard. Okay, you can have that opinion. I, we can get along if you disagree on who your favorite politician is, if they're checking the right boxes. But where was the critique of the demonic activity that is taking place in the Democratic Party? Where, where you never hear it? You never hear it, and and we don't want to sound like Sean Hannity, but we do need to be prophetic, and we do need to be bold, and we do need to call things what they are. That is in great part, in my estimation, how we've lost so much ground. We've ceded language, definitions, meaning, and we've let them get away with gender-affirming care. Let's describe that gender-affirming care. You're lopping off their body parts and then pretending to replace them and then injecting them with something that is foreign to their system. You're calling that affirming care. I think we better take a look at what the word care means because I don't define it that way. We've given the ground on that back to our Argentinian president. Uh, These are neo-Marxists have managed to co-opt the common sense of the Western world. And they've achieved this by appropriating the media. Yep. Culture. Yep. Universities and also international organizations how they've done that? Well, they've used the playbook of, who's the great deceiver? Who is the one who always questions God? Well, we see him in the garden at the very beginning. The tempter loves to inject doubt. Did God really say seriously? I'm not sure, but I read enough commentators that are sound when the devil was tempting jesus uh, it's a hinna, uh, it, it it it's it it was uh uh how was it sigh? the word if 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 you are the son of god better translation would be since you're the son of god now did the devil know that absolutely he did how did he say it though some commentators think it was rather snide well since you're the son of god why don't you throw yourself off that temple it was under questioning and, and 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 twisting scripture all over the place. The battle between Jesus and and the devil and the temptation was basically about hermeneutics. Hey, Psalm 91, 11, and 12 says that if you if you he won't let he'll send angels to make sure that you don't get hurt. And what did Jesus say? Yeah, and you're not supposed to tempt God. The devil quoted the Bible right. He just didn't use the analogy of Scripture that Scripture interprets Scripture. And Jesus had to correct that. That is his play. If he used it on the Son of God, that's got to be the best way to go about it. He accomplished the fall for us by introducing doubt and lies. That's his operandi, and that's what people do today, packaged and then positioned so that we somehow are the horrible people because we don't want children to be mutilated in or out of the womb, nor do we want adults to be mutilated, by the way. Now, this, this, this maybe will strike your ear oddly, but I think we need to stop saying that that transgender surgeries are just bad for children, but adults can make their own decisions. We just shouldn't let people do that. We just, we, we just doesn't matter what age it is. We need to say no, we know better that's 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 our societal challenge isn't it postmodernism once again lies from the devil let's say you 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 can't claim that your way is better than anybody's way. your society is better than anybody else. How dare you think you're superior well, observably there are some things that are better, and I think seeing children flourish grow up into an understanding of the body that God has made for them ah uh, That's that's loving right there. That's better mutilating them back to the president. These are institutions that have enormous influence on political and economic decisions. There's more and more of us who are daring to make our voices heard. And so it is. There are. And we should be among those voices. But please note if our tone and tenor doesn't sound different than what you get from a secular outlet, then then we got to step back and go, okay, we're, we're not doing everything right here. We're on point with our message, but our delivery system needs a little adjustment because we need to be simultaneously courageous and yet Christ-like. This is Wretched Radio. So you're not convinced of the importance of training men to rightly divide the word of truth and fill pulpits internationally? Fine then we'll let Paul Washer convince you.
1: It is so important, not just important, it's absolutely essential to have a trained expositor of the scripture in every church. When we read through the book of Acts, we can see that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ advances as the word of God advances.
2: Would you please consider joining the Masters Academy International in filling empty pulpits with men who can exposit the scriptures and advance the kingdom of God It's a magnificent ministry with a generational impact. Please learn more about supporting TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor. Wretched.org slash pastor for the Master's Academy International.
1: 2024 is a crucial election year the sanctity of life is at the forefront and while we do celebrate the overturning of roe we cannot ignore the surge of pro-choice voices they are persuasive but we can and should be more convincing we have to stand firm not only in our beliefs but also in the understanding of the gospel to change hearts and minds pro-choice advocates rally voters with misleading arguments and as christians it is our duty to counter these narratives with truth and compassion. Remember, this is not only about politics. It's about protecting the lives of the unborn. The debate has shifted to when instead of should and now it's time to refocus this conversation. Equip your family and your church with Life is Best, a 13-lesson series that's not just powerful but a call to action. Order your free digital download and streaming version from the Wretched Store right now. It's available for free during the month of January. You have until January 31st and we together can make a difference. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms
2: in the womb, when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat, would you please consider supporting Preborn? It's a great ministry of life. It has a high anthropology, shares the gospel with women and with the dads. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Attributes of God Psalm
0: 115 verse 3 says, that God does all that He pleases. God is sovereign over His whole creation. He has the right and the power to govern all things according to His will. Nothing occurs in your life that God, in His sovereignty, has not allowed. He is working all things for His glory and the good of those who love Him. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Tell me what's the
2: word I want
0: I was being sarcastic, which is another big word you'll learn in school.
2: What's the word on the street? This is Wretched Radio, the word on the street. Polycule. And all of God's people said, what in the world is a polycule? I didn't know either. Apparently, we all need to get ourselves an urban dictionary to keep up with the new lingo that is being concocted in order to justify wicked behavior. And we are seeing, at least I'm seeing, an ever-increasing push to keep, to keep the momentum going down the slippery slope of Romans 1 immorality. We're not done yet. It feels like we're at the bottom of the barrel. We're not. We are moving into, because we are seeing efforts, and wow, are they cleverly crafted efforts to undermine what we've always understood to be correct, and, and to redefine it under the banner of autonomy, a polycule is an assault on marriage. And we are going to see an increasing assault on marriage and configure, sexual configurations. You are going to be seeing more and more polyamory being promoted, or what they called consensual non-monogamous relationships, in other words, polygamy. And you are going to see an increasing push. It's, it's being staved off a little bit. There were a couple of runs at it. You will see bestiality and pedophilia being promoted. The sl- they have no way to stop it. There's a reason there is a slippery slope. It is because there is nothing to define where the slope should end, should become level. They have none. Because there is no objective moral standard in the life of the unbeliever, how can, how can the individual who says, I'm for gay marriage, be opposed to polyamory, polygamy, bestiality, pedophilia? By, by whose authority do you make this sort of proclamation and condemnation? They can't. And so they won't. And so they will continue to press on these issues. And there was an article written called, What Does a Polycule Actually Look Like? It is a term, once again, we kind of give it a scientific term. We turn abortion, the mutilation of children, into women's reproductive health care. Use lingo to redefine, to reposition, soften it up. And the next thing you know... You're celebrating the sin that is buried into a word that sounds rather clinical and academic. So here's here's the story. This is as so many articles are written these days. We tell we try to we present it through people. This can be effective and it can be a valid form of argumentation that you use people to make your point, to show what it is to try to illuminate and illustrate. And sometimes that's valid. For instance, you're having a conversation with somebody about the life issue. And they say, well, look, that baby, I mean, if it, it, it's, like, it's, it's like free rent from another woman. And, and, and living off of that person's body, uh, they're, they're, they're not independent. They're dependent on the mother. You're right. They are. But when does dependence mean we can terminate somebody's life? just like all of the people who are currently in an ICU ward, the people who are using a pacemaker. And the and the, the story that I remember, it was Megan in Life is Best, which we're still giving away, by the way. Go to wretched.org slash life. She said, my daughter Neely, do you remember this? We played it last week. My daughter Neely, she needs medication to keep her alive. But that certainly doesn't mean I can kill her. So using a story It can be powerful and persuasive, but anytime you hear in a debate or an argument being forwarded that is baked in story, just be on the alert because they're trying to bring you in. Greg Boyd, the open theist, huge at this. He always started with the story. He didn't cook everything inside of the context of an illustration of real people, but he'd start with it. So, you know, for instance, uh, this person was uh, walking along with their child and the uh, a lion came out of the woods and ate the child. <laughs> can you imagine what that would be like? God didn't know about that. Okay, hold, hold time. So you, you get your heart into it. That's where it becomes dangerous. And we're seeing that a lot these days because when you don't have much of an argument, you need every single tool that you can muster to try to make your case. For Nick and Sarah, the relationship design looks like this. Nick and Sarah are married. Sarah has had multiple other committed relationships while married to Nick. Currently, Nick has a girlfriend, Anna, who has a husband, Alex. Okay, so now we got real people. And the way that this article goes about trying to produce sympathy from us, Anna's apartment is full of plants. She loves plants. And puppies. Uh, what what is what why do we need those details? Well, it does help with colorful writing to bring in details. It helps people stay engaged, but it's also used to normalize. Oh, well, she's just like everybody else, so this must be okay. Gotta be on guard for that. Ethical non-monogamy. These couples actually are a part of a polycule. They're practicing polyamory, meaning they each have partners and maintain concurrent romantic or intimate relationships, not just a side of casual sex partners, though they can have those too. Are you keeping up? They are part of the same friend group and sometimes wind up at the same parties and have semi-regular one-on-one hangs. I don't know exactly what they mean by hangs. Now, you say, I don't understand all that gobbledygook continue reading the easiest way to explain all of this might be in the love language of most ethically non-monogamous people hey jimmy Mm -hmm. did you report on that story about that ethical rapist
1: (laughs) no no, there's not such thing
2: the ethical murderer yeah no no ethical liar no Uh, the ethical child abuser (laughs) no I i don't yeah anyway back to the article This is the love language of most ethically non-monogamous people. And no, I didn't just compare this sin with that sin. It was to make a point. Google Calendar. Sarah and Nick share a calendar. Nick and Anna share a calendar. Alex and Anna share a calendar. Sarah and Anna do not share a calendar, but are aware of who has Nick's time on any given day. Same for Nick and Alex. There's Sarah and Nick and Anna and Alex. A modern polycule, living, laughing, loving, and doing a lot of therapy. Well, that should be a tell for you. Get ready. The push. I've been seeing a number of these articles on polyamory, now called polycules. it's, It's just clouds everything. Just makes every, huh? How many? What's a Jimmy, are you? I'm trying to think of the word. Are you heteronormative? Uh, Are you cisgendered? Uh, yes. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think. Let me think for a second. I can't remember what that <laughs> word means anymore. What is it? It's, it's lingo and using language to confuse and then to sound victorious. And this is from First Things, commenting on an article in the New Yorker that paints a rosy picture of the many ways that polyamory and non-monogamy are making inroads into American culture. Oh, so the New Yorker put in a storytelling piece to promote multiple partners? Opening your marriage to additional sexual partners can make it stronger, writes the New Yorker, (laughs) noting that non-monogamy is increasingly being presented not as a threat to bourgeois marriage. Thanks. You know what? Thank you for New Yorker for using the. Thank you. You made it clear where all of this is coming from. C.R.T. This isn't a threat to bourgeois marriage. Those rich white guys. Rather as a way to save the institution and all that it affords. So in other words, we got to destroy marriage in order to save it. If you want your marriage to be strong, you got to do it differently than you did it before. You got to go out there and have other partners. That's going to make your marriage stronger. Really? Really? By the way, that last piece where they were saying, hey, it's really groovy being in a polycule. um, There was talk about psychotropics being used in the relationships. Yeah, because you you need that. Because ain't nobody happy about their spouse who said till death do me part. I'm yours. You're mine. One flesh. Who wants their one flesh partner to share their flesh with a stranger? It's a bit like the infamous Claim from an American military office in the Vietnam War. Well, we had to destroy the village in order to save it. (laughs) Not funny. That's what the New Yorker is claiming. Destroying marriage in order to save it. And this is an effort to strike at the heart of marriage. Why? Because it's God's invention. And anything that is God's invention will be under assault. So we can look at, of course, marriage, of course, family, of course. Mm, But you, you're a creation of God. They're going to primarily come after you. And we need to expect that we will be participating in the suffering of our Savior because the world hates our master. Until tomorrow, go serve your king.